Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. Uh, are you are you a gamer? I think I know the answer to this, um, but I just I wanted to ask: What's your experience with video games? Okay, so mostly my ex- I always refuse to play video games. I'm not a gamer, and okay. it falls in line with my I don't like to do things like in front of people that I don't know how to do. So I don't. So like whenever the opportunity was presented, like here, play this game in a room full of the other people that are playing games. Oh, I'm see. like, no, thank you. For me, the video because... game experience has been very solitary, but I understand like your first introduction. No, the, yeah. The so like yeah. in college or something, okay. somebody, you know, like, so I would refuse to do it because I don't want anybody watching me fail at a video game because I'm okay. weird like that. But, but. Um, for a time I had a DS, a Nintendo DS. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I would play like Professor Layton puzzle games. Okay. Is that how you say it? Professor Layton, uh, that's how it's spelt. Yeah, I don't know, but I I, I can, I, I don't know if I've ever, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know if I've ever said it aloud. Old timey, there were like a lot of trains and he had a top hat. A lot of trains. Yeah. <laughs> so I assume you haven't played any then uh, scary video games of any sort. No, uh-uh. Oh, okay. I don't like scary things. Why would I, well, aside from having to play video games in front of people, that's scary. <laughs> no, I uh, no purposefully scary games. That's that's totally fair. I, I'm 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 not. I like video games. I'm not mm-hmm. what one would call a gamer by any means. Uh, I play Capital G gamer. Yeah, I play in spurts, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if I've ever played any really scary games. I mean, ones I can think of are The Last of Us, which is now this big. HBO series. Yeah. Uh, Resident Evil was a really big one too. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I know about these games. I don't think I've ever played it. Um, I did play I did play Castlevania, which was kind of scary. Um, oh, have you ever heard oh. of or ever played? Well, I guess the answer is no. Played, uh, Wolfenstein 3D. <laughs> no. That sounds oh ridiculous. God. What's that? It's it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I'm not going to dig too much into the premise, but it's a first-person game. It's pretty old. It's a little scary. Uh, you're like you're looking out onto this. There's a lot of stuff. Anyways, but one of the main villains of uh-huh. the game, you're going kind of through this like underground um, bunker system. There's all these doors. And uh, the game, this villain appears. You open a door and they... It's, it's a really hard villain and they usually... Like hard to beat. You should dispose of you uh, because oh. this is it's a first person game. Uh, but the the villain just yells "Gutentag" like "Good day" <laughs> before just completely messing your day up. And I remember being, uh, frankly, probably far too young and playing this game for the first time. And this door opened, and it was a computer game. And I probably just like flipped my keyboard up or threw my mouse at the screen. I was probably, I just imagine being just absolutely terrified and screaming and probably falling off my chair. Like a jump scare video. <laughs> oh my gosh. Before, before that was a thing. Yeah. This is, um, this is like the original jump scare. Uh, yeah. <laughs> evidently no. it is, uh, it has stuck with me for years to come. <laughs> yeah. Your mom's probably never letting you live down throwing your <laughs> remote through the TV. Science is fascinating, but don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Vicki Thompson. And this is Third Pod from the Sun.
All right, Vicky. So I didn't I didn't bring you here today to talk about Wolfenstein, which was fun but interesting. Uh, though it did <laughs> really bring back some fond memories of mine of being the most scared. Uh yeah, yeah, it's a little weird to frame it that way, uh, but also maybe. Um, but but before we kind of dig down into this rabbit hole too far, let's bring in producer Katrina Jackson to help us uh, to help us out to help us explain what we're talking about today. So, hi, Katrina. Hi, Shane. Uh, have you played Have you played a lot of video games? Are you a gamer per se? I wouldn't really call myself much of a gamer, at least for console games. Um, I've played various computer games, like mostly adventure games. Uh, like I've played, you know, one or two of the Siberia games or a couple of the Monkey Island games. Um, I played a lot of the Nancy Drew games. In fact, there's 33 <laughs> of them. I've played all of them there's multiple times. 33 of them? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I... <laughs> I I haven't done like anything like that. The only thing I was trying to think of uh, for this, I played Mist. Do you remember Mist, the computer game Mist from? Oh, I'd say yeah. how old am I? Thirty, uh, like twenty five years ago. Uh, I I it was like the first computer game I ever played. Uh, on, well, first like on a PC. I guess we played like. Um, Oh my goodness. Uh, like, is Oregon Trail an educational game? It teaches you things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've played various educational games too, like the Oregon Trail, the Yukon Trail, uh, the yeah. Start series, Carmen San Diego. Um, I think oh. I've played Mist. Carmen San Diego is a good one too. Yeah. Oh, I really, I really love this. We're just like running, this whole episode is oh. just going to be us running through uh, uh, different, different games. Games of our youths. Yeah. Do you feel like you've learned anything from games outside of like the the traditionally educational sorts of games? Um, I mean, maybe. So yeah, myself, like I'm not necessarily a, a gamer, uh, but I do play things here or there. I spent a lot of time most recently playing. I have a Switch, the Nintendo console, and mm-hmm. I've played a lot of time or had a lot of time playing uh, the most recent Legend of Zelda games. Uh, so there's a couple of them now, and frankly, like, they're big open world things. And I'm pretty sure I find myself thinking more there than I do, frankly, doing a lot of other things in my <laughs> life. <laughs> All right, guys. So back on track. I'm guessing this has something to do with an interview for today's episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I talked with Dr. Jasmine Scarlett over in the UK, and she's currently a flood resilience officer for their environment agency. But before that, she was a social volcanologist studying the interactions between volcanoes and people. And she actually co-authored a whole paper on the depiction of the depiction of volcanoes in video games. Oh, that's really cool. Okay, let's hear about it. My name is Dr. Jasper Scarlett, and I am a flood resilience officer. So it kind of kind of just happened um, because so me and my co-author Ed, we love playing video games, like we've been playing them for a majority of our lives. Um, and for me, it started off with, I was playing Spyro, Spyro, the dragon, the reunited trilogy. So sort of like revamped from like the original PlayStation one version in the nineties. And I was just running around in a level with some lava falls in it. And I actually stopped and just looked at them and thought, oh, they don't look quite 
right? They don't look like what we would see in reality. Uh, so that, that turned into me just going through all three of the games and looking at the volcanology in them. And then I wrote it up on my blog post, um, just just for like, just for, it wasn't for anyone in particular, it was just for myself. Like, this is what I found. It was rather interesting. Here you go, world. Um, and then Ed, he really likes that blog post. He's like, hey, can I do this for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild? And I was like, go ahead, please, please do. But then we decided there was a there's an annual conference over here in the UK called um, with the Volcanic Mammalic Studies Group. And they host an annual conference every January, and Ed has brilliant ideas. Shall we just present this as research <laughs> at the conference? So we <laughs> created the conference poster, and we also brought on Nintendo Switches along for people to play. Um, while we talk about the poster, so we um, we both had um, Breath of the Wild, so we let people like have a go and like run around the volcano, the volcanic landscape, and around Death Mountain in the game, and it was it was remarkable getting like senior like professors and like who have like never touched a console in their lives like having a go and to see how fun they actually they're like oh this is actually great fun like yeah I can see some stuff I was like yeah they're cool um, so then. From that, people at the conference were like, you should write a paper on this. So we were like, sure, why not? So, <laughs> so then we just spent over the summer um, writing a paper on it. And then we published, and it was published in February the following year. Yeah. So what are some of the games that you looked at and how were volcanoes part of their plots or part of the gameplay? Yeah, so we actually reviewed quite a few of the Pokemon games. Um, so Ed is a big Pokemon fan. Pokemon like Red and Blue as well, so like Cinnabar Island. And then once you go to, once you're in Pokemon Gold, um, Silver, you can like revisit Cinnabar Island and actually there's changes between the games. So we talked about that in terms of, actually this was what was depicted in one time when it hadn't erupted. And then in the Pokemon Silver and Gold games, it had erupted. So what was the impacts of that? And there's a region where there is ash falling. So we talked about um, not the accuracy of a child hiding in the ash to like jump out of you and then star Pokemon battles. Like, that's not really good, is it? They don't have protection. Where's their face mask? Where's their eye? Why, why are they not covering up their sleeves? Like, <laughs> like stuff like that. We also reviewed, uh, well, I reviewed um, Lego. Um, Lego Super Marvel, um, Lego Marvel superheroes, and then Lego Marvel DC supervillains. Sounds crazy, but there's actually volcanoes in them. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and of course, it's Lego, but the with the volcanoes in those games, it's more of like a background feature. And of course, there are some levels where it's all sort of like an obstacle to overcome, and like try not to like break your Lego character. Uh, one accurate thing I found in that was in the D in the Lego DC Supervillains game, the 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 lava texture on top was actually quite accurate. It shows them um, the rope people hoi hoi lava. So it's basically what happens is that when the top of the lava cools, it like forms like a crust. Uh, but then what makes it put low people hoi hoi is that it's still uh, flowing like fast underneath just that crust layer. And that basically pushes the crust layer and it forms these, like, these really lovely ropey like uh, features on top of it. Um, that was actually quite accurate. I was quite impressed for a Lego game. <laughs> Ed reviewed Monster Hunter. Um, and the Monster Hunter in all of the games, there's been like, there's 
been like 20 games there's like so many of them but the ones we reviewed uh, there's there's always some sort of volcano area volcanic area um and it's essentially there's monsters running around and you've got to hunt down the monsters most of these games we looked at it's, it's more of a background feature it's not really much you can interact with so it does like the background you see like a really like peaky kind of like stratovolcano and it's like um like um um ejecting ash and whatnot uh one thing definitely common for the games we did find is that the the stratovolcanoes they're too peaky they're like really too steep like in reality they will be too unstable they would collapse really because there is isn't much like holding them together if they were like really really peaky one i reviewed was um um, tomb raider um, shadow of the tomb raider i uh, was quite impressed because this is the only game that had an example of a laha so a laha is a volcanic mud flow and it actually did pretty good job and lahars they can occur before during and after an eruption so this particular lahar in this game happened during the eruption and the lahar essentially they are mixed they're a slurry mixture of water debris volcanic material anything they could pick up and they have quite big bulldozing power and quite big erosion power because of all that sediment in it and yet it was quite quite accurate the sequence was try to not drown in this laha which is in reality quite difficult to do because <laughs> they are very fast things um they usually occur sort of like similar to like flash flooding they can come out of nowhere um and yeah but that was definitely the most accurate when I mean, it's the only example but it was done pretty well and it's not seen that since um but i encourage game developers to do that more So I probably know the answer to this already, but I don't want to make assumptions. Vicky, have you ever played any of these games that Jasmine was talking about or any games with like a volcano in it? Oh, games with a volcano. No, I played like a Pokemon card game last night, actually. Wait, literally last night? Literally last night because it's like a McDonald's prize right now. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. This is a. But, was it? Did you get the happy meal, or was this for no, your daughter? No, Olivia. Olivia did, but um, and it was it was just like matching number. Anyway, it's very fun. Okay, uh, but no, no video games, and I can't okay. think of anything with a volcano. Yeah, I I I hadn't played any of these games that Jasmine mentioned, uh, but I and I was racking my brain. I'm I, I'm positive that in one of these few kind of again big like open world games, I've played something with a volcano in it but i couldn't bring anything to mind um what about what about you katrina um i as well haven't played any of the games that jasmine was talking about but in the nancy drew computer games i think there were two that i recall that had volcanoes (laughs) wow Um, 30 some (laughs) yeah out of the 33 (laughs) um yeah one was set in hawaii and there wasn't there weren't volcanoes throughout the game, but at the very end of the game, uh, Nancy and the Hardy Boys, they had to escape the villain by jumping across rocks that were appearing and disappearing in the lava, which, you know, isn't super realistic, but it's kind of a standard game type of puzzle. Um, but the other one I thought was even more unrealistic because it's set at a museum in Greece where they're putting oh. on a play about the mythological underworld. And they had these 
incredibly detailed stage sets, including one that had actual lava <laughs> where Nancy could <laughs> fall in and die. At the museum? <laughs> yeah, at the museum, like, they had... Uh, they had like a basement level that had all these rotating stage sets that would come up for the play that they're going to produce. And like, I've done a lot of community theater. We've never had any actual molten lava. <laughs> yeah. I got to say, this is making me, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by these Nancy Drew games. I might, uh, I might do some investigating when we get oh, yeah, off the, the call here. <laughs> Especially if the Hardy Boys are involved. There you yeah. go. That's fun. Yes, the Hardy Boys are in a few of them. Okay, so... Aside from lava on stage, live lava, <laughs> what are some more things that Jasmine found out about how vol- volcanoes are depicted in video games? Every game, uh, even games now that I play, they have lava falls. In reality, they are quite rare. They do occur. So, of course, like, for example, Kilauea. Um, Etna's produced them recently. But these games, they make it seem like they happen every time, which in reality, they don't. Um, lava bombs, like really big lava bombs. Obviously, you can get lava bombs, and they can be pretty big, but like they don't fall as far away from the volcano because of the mass, and of course, being dragged down by gravity and like how far they can fall. Um, what's uh, like ash always does pop up, but it's not the correct particle effect. Uh, there was actually an example in um, Shadow Tomb Raider in like um, DLC, kind of like additional content where it's a different volcano that's erupted and you do actually get a, a, like if you leave Lara idle, she does actually put her hand over her mouth and starts coughing. And I was like, good, that's what would happen in reality. But you need to make sure you cover yourself up. <laughs> like uh, she's not covered up appropriately. She's like, right, this volcano's erupting. I'm going to go in and like go half a treasure. I can't even remember what it was about, but like you need the proper protection. <laughs> that's definitely why one gripe i think i think that's just such a me thing it's like no where's your protection (laughs) like (laughs) um yeah um i imagine a lot of these games have a lot of hours of gameplay like maybe dozens of hours and people are spending a long time in these environments and Mm -hmm. um like you said most people aren't seeing volcanoes in their real life especially actively erupting volcanoes mm-hmm. um so how much do you think they are absorbing from these video games about um their perception of what volcanoes are and how they act mm. so that's an ongoing process between me and Ed. well more Ed now because i have left academia now um but that's something we want to try and figure out in terms of like, okay so what do people learn from playing these games we do know from from research out there that people do learn and pick up things just like as they subconsciously like play the games so yeah it is it is possible but we just don't know the numbers yet um and hopefully we'll figure that out one day yeah i was reading in your paper that there's some aspects of volcanoes that um definitely weren't really represented in the games you're looking at like pyroclastic flows or as you were talking about the the effects of the ash and the um, volcanic gases. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you think those ones aren't shown as much in the video games? I'm not sure, if I'm, if I'm honest. I, I do think it has part to do with like just the, the vision of the design team um, and those that are creating the environments in the games. Uh, they probably think that it's not really important as long as it's featured 
it doesn't matter if we get it right or not, as long as it kind of resembles a volcano. Um, they don't need to think about the nitty gritty stuff because yeah, like volcanoes, they do produce a multitude of hazards and not, not people that are not in volcanology or have an understanding of volcanoes, they won't know that. Like they won't know that volcanic gas is actually classified as a volcanic hazard and it might come with the volcanic ash and the park acid flows. It might be separate. I mean, of course, we do have examples out there where the volcanic gases have been the only hazards produced. So if you think about what happened in Cameroon in like the 90s, for example, with the, with the carbon dioxide poisoning, like that just, that was by itself, but that was from the volcano. Um, so it might be that. And because, yeah, the volcanic hazards, they do have complex interactions and some do just happen by themselves and don't have any others. Some happen and it cascades into another hazard. So like these sort of things. And it could be like in external influences as well. So for example, some lahars are produced from like heavy rainfall or from a hurricane or a cyclone. And that's happened before in the past. So it really does, it, it's probably just a bit bit too much. They obviously want to try and just simplify things, which makes sense because, um, yeah, yeah. Are there any underutilized um, aspects of volcanoes or the natural disasters that you feel could make for good stories or good gameplay? Fissure eruptions. So like from, so uh, fissure eruptions and from like shield volcanoes, we have very recent examples of fissure eruptions. We have in Iceland and in Hawaii uh, and elsewhere. Obviously those are the main two classical ones. So I think that sounds utilized. So like fish eruptions and like shield volcanoes, that, that they need to be used more. And like they can be just as dangerous, if not even worse, because you sometimes you wouldn't actually know where they're gonna start because they can because of the fish eruptions, it can be like away from the actual crater. Um and it could be like miles, kilometers, it could be like so far out from the actual volcano itself where these fish eruptions happen so that would add an extra element of a challenge i would think in the game and gamers love challenges so like why not throw them a fish eruption in just every once in a while that'd be great <laughs> Shane, so what would you think of a video game that had more realistic aspects of volcanoes, like fissure eruptions far from the crater or pyroclastic flows or lahar types of mud flows um, that Jasmine was talking about or the dangerous effects of ash and volcanic gases? Would that be fun? That sounds terrifying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, no. Well, no, I mean, okay, here's the thing. Well, uh, I, I mean... If it could be done from a realistic perspective, it could be done in a way that was still super entertaining. Yes, sure. Make it incredibly realistic. But for me personally, and maybe this is bad chain scientist, chain bad scientist, I'm not the type of person who gets mad at things like sci-fi movies for being unrealistic. Like I'm just, I'm just in it for the fun. But sure, if there's a way to increase realism while also keeping the entertainment factor. Yes, that's great. That's that's mm -hmm. why not both, right? And I think there are definitely a lot of aspects to volcanoes that could make for some entertaining game gameplay. And um in general, I, I do think there's a lot of room for story creators to be inspired by real science and that 
being familiar with the real science has the potential to make your stories a lot richer and more interesting. Yeah. And I wonder, I mean, I wonder what Jasmine's thoughts are on volcanoes and other forms of media. Outside of video games, are there any other works of fiction where you've seen particularly good portrayals of natural disasters or particularly bad portrayals? Um, so I, it's been, it's, it was last year now, but it's still on my mind because it's so great. Um, but the the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemison, Jemison? Yes, I have read it. Yes. It's so good, isn't it? It's so good. Um, just the, the, the geology being the basis of the magic, that's blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the volcanoes are, it's, it's done very well uh, in terms of the fact that this large eruption has destabilized civilization and they've got to figure out what to do afterwards. Like, I'm hooked on that. That's like, yes. And I have heard from a friend that actually the author did actually talk to actual volcanologists and geologists to actually get it right. So I'm like, perfect oh, good we need more of that we need we we need more authors or whatever to just just talk to us like we're available you know <laughs> yeah game developers please approach us we're here we're keen <laughs> uh in terms of bad depictions in movies pretty much every movie that's had the volcano they've done something wrong most of the time always wrong <laughs> like the best we're ever gonna get is Dante's Peak. And of course, even Dante's Peak didn't do it 100% right. And it's it's really, right. it's really disheartening. It's like, come on, there are so many scientists out there. Just, just, please. <laughs> please. Like, um, <laughs> that's all I just, I just a please. Like, all of them are bad. Please just reach out to us. Yeah. <laughs> Please just get it just kind of right. But obviously, like, the problem is, like, in reality, some of them can be pretty boring. So I get it. Why they want to do it so wrong right. and exaggerated? Because they obviously want to make it all exciting and, like, oh, no, are they going to survive or not? And I'm just like, like, for example, like, every time the movie 2012 comes up and the volcanic secret comes <laughs> up, my family or my friends just turn to me because because uh, you can see me trying so hard not to, like, this is so wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> that they there needs to be an improvements in the film industry of the volcanoes and other natural hazards representation. That'd be great. What would be your ideal movie that had volcanoes? Like if, if you're if it were up to you, what what would the story be and, and how would <laughs> how would the natural disasters be depicted like in a in a cool way that was accurate but entertaining? Oh, well, entertaining, that's questionable because <laughs> the way I think of it, it's like it's not entertaining at all. <laughs> right. <Okay>. Um, <laughs> so, like, obviously what I, what I would do is I would show more of the disaster management side of things. So how different agencies and organizations speak to one another or don't speak to one another. And that could be a source of drama entertainment, I guess, in terms of, like, how wrong the communication can be because usually if the communication doesn't work that's usually when disaster happens that's usually when people like get lost or like lose their lives if like if the communication is not on point so that could be like so that could be like a thriller i guess in that sense um yeah yeah in the, the human side of things is always yeah. where drama happens so. yeah exactly could have that suspension there um I would show, I suppose, more accurate representation if you do wear the correct protection 
And what would happen if you don't wear the correct protection? That will probably also be, I think that would be good too. Um, and then I guess you can add more of like a horror element to that. So what would happen if you inhaled ash? Because in reality, you would just like have to go to the hospital because you're for like, I can't remember. If you have like respiratory problems, you can like, you have to go to the hospital or whatnot, especially if you have asthma. Um, if you in- inhale too much like uh, like sulfur dioxide, for example, you would obviously have to go to the hospital as well because of the poisoning whatnot add a horror element to it instead yeah in reality my film will be really boring but it'll be highly accurate and i think actually more of the the social uh, like the social the human element of it is where you would get the entertainment and the drama i think because volcanoes they 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 do what they do and like most of the time now around the world it's relatively predictable where these hazards are going to go we don't know when most of the time we know where because we have hazard maps we have we have like past like research we have you know constant monitoring whatnot so in terms of that that's nailed down that could be pretty accurate but you can like run away with the the human element to it because that in the end of the day is what causes disasters and that's with any hazards not just volcanoes um because yeah we know about how they work but it's like if the communication is broken down if people are not where they're supposed to be or you know that's usually where things go wrong so don't see my movie it will do terrible So she mentioned adding a horror element to natural disaster movies. I mean, that could be that could be fun. Yeah, I don't usually think of volcanoes as being in the horror genre per se, though of course volcanic eruptions and other natural disasters can be pretty scary. Yeah, I, I think basically the genre of horror is usually dealing more with like supernatural mm-hmm. horrors rather than rather than kind of the natural type of horrors, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, if it's... Frankly, I think if it's scary, it counts. I think certain documentarians have made a career of telling true (laughs) things in, frankly, really scary ways. Mm -hmm. Regardless, I imagine volcanologists themselves probably wouldn't describe volcanoes as horror or scary, right? Uh, Well, Jasmine, she did actually use the word scary several times when she was talking with me about volcanoes. I don't know if this is just me, but I just in general, I find volcanoes scary just because they're just always there. We don't know what's going on on the surface. And I think that scares me. I think that's what got me into volcanology in general. Like, I want to know this very unknowable, scary thing. I want to know what makes it tick. Like, I wish we were we were at a point in volcanology where we could have like a Met Office that could just track a hurricane and know exactly when it's going to make land like like hit land or not i wish we had that but we just don't um that scares me i think the fact that we have to rely so much on like computers but as well as ourselves to make the call and be like okay is this volcano gonna erupt or not like sometimes it literally is down to a senior person who is monitoring this volcano to decide to call like to like tell the the relevant authorities like you need to call an evacuation now like, I think that scares me, the fact that a lot of it is still on us to try and get it right. 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to think about it. And you said that's kind of what got you into into volcanology. Um, yeah. So so tell me more about how you got into the field. Yeah. So um, I for my undergrad, I did geography and natural hazards. So it was a combination of human geography, physical geography and disaster management. So that course, I was learning about all types of natural hazards. Um, and then I reached the end of my undergrad and essentially I was like not ready to, ready to go into the real world of work yet. So I wanted to continue studying. Um, so I was like shopping around for like masters and then came across this course called Volcanology and Geological Hazards. I thought, huh, that sounds interesting. So I like spoke to my family about it and then my mum was like, you should speak to your granddad because he comes from a volcanic island in the Caribbean and... I was like 21 years old. And I had no clue about this. I just thought he came from like a, a town called Reading and had a funny accent. That's all. <laughs> I didn't know where he was from. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so I spoke to my granddad and he was like, yeah, it's like this amazing place in the Caribbean called St. Vincent. Had this beautiful volcano called La Sofrere and it erupted. And it was amazing. It was like really brilliant and like really like, like, he was obviously he he's a very good storyteller, my granddad. So like he really like put stars in my eyes. I was like, oh my god, I need to know more about this. So I decided, yeah, I'm going to do that course. Um, so I did my masters at Lancaster University, um, and I decided to do my research dissertation on on Saint Vincent and on La Sofrere in terms of people's risk perceptions of the volcano. And that's probably where the the fear instilled in me with particularly La Sofrere. Um, because like my family were impacted by it, because my ancestors were impacted by it. And I was like, I need to learn more about this volcano. I need to like not be scared of this volcano that my family still live with today. Um, so yeah, I did the master project and then my course director, Hugh Tuffin, he was like, you're really good at this. You should consider doing a PhD. So then I did a PhD on the same volcano, but looking more about the historical eruptions of it, because I was really fascinated about what did this look like in the past? Like, how did people experience this volcano in the past? But I feel like now I'm not as scared, because at least I, like, have some understanding. Because like, we're still trying to figure out so many things about how volcanoes work and how the hazards work. But I still feel like I, I, like, I know enough to be like, okay... I kind of know what's going on with them now. I don't have to be scared of them anymore. But at the same time, I can be very fearful for other people. <laughs> so I'm still scared for other people that live near volcanoes. I like how with the whole PhD, you now kind of understand what's going yeah. on. <laughs> that's, all I, that's the whole thing of PhDs, isn't it? Like, just crash the surface. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so so tell me about your current job as a flood resilience officer. Um, has your volcanology background helped at all with that job? It surprisingly has. Yeah, so um, flood resilience officer. So it's with um, a civil service department in the UK called the Environment Agency. My job um, is a number of things. It's one is to community engagement. So going out to like communities across the areas of responsibility that we have, uh, talk to them and raise flood awareness, tell them about their flood risk. That's one part of my role. Another part of my role is hydrology and telemetry. So I essentially monitor uh, river levels uh, in my areas of responsibility. So I 
and responsible for a river catchment called the Upper Lee um, and its tributaries. So there's quite a number of like smaller rivers that flow off this large river called the Upper Lee. Um, and so, yeah, I monitor those river levels and then joint with that, I do threshold reviews. So these thresholds are for our um, flood alerts and flood warnings. Um, so I review those thresholds and then I assist with my colleagues to maintain the flood warning service, um, mainly just like the background stuff. I don't, I'm not, not trained yet to issue flood words and flood warnings. However, I am being trained to uh, next year. So another role um, is uh, instant management. So uh, the Environment Agency, they are actually a category one responder. So uh, for any environmental incident. So along with the, like, the police, the fire and ambulance service, we would be there if there is flooding or if there is a wildfire, if there's an industrial fire. Almost everybody in the environment has one or more instant roles. So I have an instant activated role called an, an instant support officer. Next year, I'll be trained as a flood warning duty officer. And this one is like a you're on a rotor. It's usually a week week on, week off rotor. And this is where I would be monitoring the river levels more closely. And then working with my colleagues, I would be there in making decisions. Do we need to issue a flood alert or flood warning or a severe flood warning? And yeah, I really enjoy it. And yeah, like with like disaster management side of stuff in terms of volcanology, like, yeah, it's like literally front, front and center um, in terms of bringing that knowledge in. It's so interesting that Jasmine didn't learn about her grandpa being from a volcanic Caribbean island until she started studying volcanology herself. Uh, yeah, I can definitely see why Jasmine got into the more human side of volcanology once she learned about her own family's connections to volcanoes. I, I also think it's really cool that Jasmine's academic background in volcanology is so useful now that she's doing something pretty different with all the flood warning stuff at uh, the environmental agency. I mean, I, I personally can relate to having a scientific background in something and doing something completely different, but it being at least relatively helpful. Did, uh, did she say why she sort of switched paths and left volcanology? Um, yeah, yes, Jasmine did talk about that. I left because I couldn't handle the short-term contracts, essentially. I couldn't handle the short-term contracts and keep applying for jobs. And in just how competitive it is, like, it was not for me. I couldn't keep up. And, like, yeah, some people can make it work. But, like, me, I live by myself. And, obviously, I have to be financially support myself. So I was like, I can't keep doing these short-term contracts because that's not financially stable at all um that's kind of the main challenge in the academia itself i enjoyed it i really enjoyed it the main challenges was working with my physical disability so i have a physical disability and the main thing that came up was with chronic fatigue like i could not do kind of like all the hours that other people do in academia like i just couldn't because i'll just be tired at the end of the day and i think as well just i suppose just the perception or that toxic environment. Like I was fortunate that I didn't experience that much. I had microaggressions, but that that happens when you're 
that have a skin color like mine. But like that didn't faze me as much as it did of my physical disability. But physical disability was the main thing. And then of course just the short term contracts. Um it's like it's really hard to get a permanent job um at the moment, particularly in UK. I think particularly in UK volcanology community at the moment. Um because most of the time you would have to go to another country. And for me, um I I I can't be that far away from my family. Like I, I just can't. I would get so homesick, so I would have to come back. So that I was like, it's it's not for me. So I had to make that call and make that choice. But like I need to leave and need to find a permanent job. The corporate working, it does I have found it does suit me better. Like have set hours, like I know I know my boundaries my team knows knows my boundaries i know their boundaries like there is big much better separation between work life balance like that's very important um in the in the environment agency and corporate world and yeah i don't really see myself going back to academia anytime soon probably never to be honest see yourself ever going back to academia shane no uh, <laughs> i i i've thought about this hard now uh well i've thought about this a lot i mean i seriously a lot i and i, I go and teach as part of academia and i take class i mean i'm still tangentially connected to it and i definitely love some aspects of academia but honestly i also love work-life balance and uh-huh. having the option to do extracurriculars versus that being a requirement of my job. I mean, I get both sides. I, I have many friends and colleagues in academia and not, uh, but for me, not a thing. Well, presumably now you have more time to play video games, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, Vicky, you might have heard this story before, but I don't know if mm-hmm. I've ever actually aired this out there. Uh, so, when uh, when the uh, lockdown for COVID back in March of 2020 started, uh, we all we all coped in our own ways, right? And for me, uh, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, uh, my daily routine turned into outside of the whole like work from home thing. Uh, every morning, I would wake up and I would eat Reese's cocoa puffs for like six months uh every single morning and every evening uh i'd be dinner whatever i'd fix myself a drink and then i would play legend of zelda literally six months every single day (laughs) this was my routine uh i still play video games i'm not a gamer per se like i said before but i uh i had a lot of time then uh, and so maybe some uh i have some game life balance now <laughs> right game life maybe balance. a more balanced lifestyle <laughs> yeah uh so uh with that let's uh let's end it there and that is all from third pod from the sun thanks so much to katrina for bringing us this story and to jasmine for sharing her work with us this episode was produced by katrina with audio engineering from colin warren and artwork by jay steiner We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast, so please rate and review us, and you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all, and we'll see you next week.
Yeah. Regardless, I can imagine volcan. Why can't I talk? <laughs> it's Monday. That's nice. That's a nice way to say it. Okay. <laughs> uh, regardless, I imagine volcanologists find themselves. <laughs> Something's really wrong with me today. Okay. Regardless, I imagine volcanologists themselves probably went and described volcan. volcan blah, blah, blah. Like, literally, what is happening? <laughs> That's what editing is for. Thank God. 